Greetings, programs. This is Jay Mayer, the Tron Guy, and you're listening to the Scene World Podcast. It's the Scene World Podcast. I'm AJ. He's Jorg. I'm eating chocolate cake for lunch because I'm an adult and I can do that. Yeah. Nobody tells you what to do. Yeah. Hello, I'm Jorg. Well known for being well known. <laughs> well, yes. So today we are talking to the three leading figures of the Mega 65, which is pretty interesting because AJ actually mentioned in the last um, episode of our podcast that he would like to ask them some questions. So we did. Mm -hmm. And I hope you enjoy it. We will shortly anyway. Yes. (laughs) So So before we get going with that, there are, there is some stuff that we can cover. Um, First off, anyone that was tired of hearing us talk about extra life, uh, too bad. We're going to talk about it again. Uh, we we're taking part in again in 2016, uh, and so our we have a new team for ourselves. We're not going to be part of someone else's team. Um, so if you go to extra-life.org/team/scene-world, you can find us and you can donate and do all that fun jazz. Game night or game day, the 24-hour nonsenseathon that we do isn't going to be until November, I think. So, so this is just the lead up to it. We'll be doing some stuff and 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 leading up to it um partially part of which was we got to use our twitch stream uh a couple weeks ago to do some live streaming of commodore games which was yeah. pretty fun oh yes we we were talking about that month already that we are planning to do something with it and now we did and we had um Live Plumes Christ invited, who mm-hmm. did NetRacer and Vortex 2, and we had over an hour of fun and a lot of feedback and party pushing in the chat from the community, so thank you for that. Also thanks to Bill Hurd for promoting it on his Facebook, which helped us a lot, and it really surprised me because I didn't ask him to, but the general feedback was so good in the beginning that we are crazy to do that yes and we did and also thanks to kevin castiles our hardware beta tester guy who actually got a an a net network interface card and nick especially for this event so was a lot of fun and you can watch it afterwards because we made a recording and we will put the link in the description it's, down yeah, it's there. On, it's on YouTube, so it's on our yeah. channel on YouTube. Next time yep. that we do this, it's going to be me destroying Jurgen Pitstop too. Yes, yes, yeah. Because we will use the net play function in in Vice. We'll, we'll try to use a net play function in Vice. I don't guarantee that anything's going to work. We'll, we'll attempt it. Well, the good thing is that we are all geeks, and in the end, we all figured it out in one way or another. We never had the case that we could that we had to say sorry, guys. We have to abort. Fortunately, that never happened, and I hope it never will. So, 
What what other news speaking, we have? Well, speaking of you, uh, speaking of YouTube, we have another video up on YouTube as of today, um, which is the review of the Commodore Pet. Uh, Jörg did an unboxing of it a couple weeks ago, and then he sent it to me, and I I used it for a couple of weeks and played around with it, and my review is up there. I'm not going to say anything about what my opinions are. You're going to have to go and look at it. Right. right. So, so, yeah, so that's, other that's, news. that's on, yeah. on YouTube, so people can see that. Um, yeah. Other news. Uh, yes, we finally made our page being moved to scene.org. So Ooh, yes. thanks to scene.org, to the International Scene Organization again, for hosting us and providing us the space and all the support. Really awesome. So thanks for that. And we made we made the switch to the servers without any downtime. Yes. So nobody notices this thing. Um, yes, yeah. and we are actually improving. We actually will be improving the homepage. We we had some discussion today with um, with the Modex developer to improve our page. So hopefully within the next few weeks, you will see a way better, more. Um, accessible homepage, hopefully. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. What What other news we oh, have? Oh, here's one. Uh, a video game con that I went yeah. to last year is the video game con 16, uh, 2016 has been announced. Um, wow. It'll be taking place September 10th and 11th uh, at the same place, uh, the Parsippany PAL in Parsippany, New Jersey. So tickets are available. Go on Facebook, find them, or go on to. Uh, their website it's a videogamecon.com uh and get tickets register to go check it out all that stuff nothing really um substantial has been has been said about it as far as who's going to be there and and what's going to be happening you will be and, there yeah i'll be there yes but you know so so that's so yeah that's that going on so ha will be there again mm mm-hmm. mhm so you can get your hand stamped. Okay. Did 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 actually oh, God, anybody wanted? No, nobody your hand wanted. Stamped? Nobody wanted their hand. Nobody stamped. wanted that. I don't Ooh. even know where I put it. It's somewhere around here. Oh, okay. So <laughs> leave that then. Yeah. Yes. Well, so we got some Kickstarter news. There was there is this the story of the Oliver Twins book by Chris Wilkins. And there was this problem of not being certain on which kind of NES systems their latest game would work. So I volunteered as a beta tester. And he just announced yesterday that they figured out that it works on NTSC machines, but not on European machines, which is quite interesting because it's a British um, game. So... Um, and he announced that, well, according to my suggestion, they will put in a menu at the beginning where you can switch between PAL and NTSC because the PAL and NTSC detection on the NES doesn't work properly. So the game was stuck on NTSC even on the PAL machines. Okay. So so I volunteered to help to help out there. Uh, so this issue is being resolved. And every backer will get um, a cartridge that um, works on all versions, except those who who wrote to him in that comment section on the update 
that they want an NTC version, then they get the NTC version. So we will link to that so people can see that. Um, yes. So the other news actually is that there is a project from a Brazilian um, studio that's actually making a new version of Outrun called Slipstream, and that was successfully um, funded. Oh, yeah. That's pretty pretty neat, yeah. Hmm. Yes. And I I was one of those early backers who actually backed the pledge to be a character in the game. Oh, boy. So I will be a character in the game. No details known yet, but I will be a character in in the OutRun um, PC remake. That's okay. kind of exciting because I love racing games. And this is why I will beat H.A. in Pit Stop 2, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So, so far about the about the the Kickstarter related news. Any other news you picked up? Um, More than two items of news? Um, not really. Hey, hey, does your yeah. does your power supply for your Commodore hum or buzz? No. No. Huh. No, because I use a PC power supply. Oh, okay. I a use... modified one. Oh. One you but even the Paul one didn't didn't bust, no. Huh. Well, mine mine just makes a slight like little hum to it, and, and and I seem to remember old ones doing that, but I don't. Yeah, but it's not really dangerous. It's quite normal. So it's supposed to. The very old ones could do that, yeah, okay. because 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 of the way it's done. Even even modern power supplies do that sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Except if the tone gets higher and louder over time, then it will barely burn through. Oh, great! After a while, so if you if you notice that the sound is changing, then you better replace my the my power my very first C sixty four. The power supply was uh, it was overheating, uh, and it would get to a certain point, and then just it, everything would just turn off because. You know, it was just getting too hot for it, and I remedied this because I remedied this by taking it and putting it into a into like a freezer bag and then submerging that in ice water, and that worked for like two years. Whoa! <laughs> Actually, they made a newer version of the power supply, not having that problem, and it has a sticker on it that's "high pot tested." So, uh. and even those power supplies work on the super CPU. Okay. So CMD always said if you use a a super CPU, get a high pot tested power supply. Yeah, it's yeah. a red sticker on the downside of the power supply. Yeah, well, I got. Yeah, that was the 64. I, it was just, it was getting old. That's why it was overheating. This one mm. here that I got, the 128, that's, uh, that's just hasn't been used in a while. And I just, I didn't remember it making noise. I, I plugged <laughs> it in and I'm like, is that a, a slight, is that a hum coming from that thing? And I'm listening to it. I'm like, yeah, it is. But. Mm. I haven't been Maybe able to you test. Have bees. What's that? Maybe you have bees. How many bees? <laughs> yeah. I haven't been able to test it yet. I've got a cable for it, but the cable apparently is S video and then there's two audio cables. So I and the, the little thing I got to plug it in is only two RCA cables, so I haven't been able to try it yet. Oh. I got another cable coming to me. Well for the C 
128 for the eight columns mode. Oh, you need God. a special cable. I've been the thinking about 80 columns. At the, at the moment. I'm just worried about the 40. Just saying you need a special cable for that. But that is also available on eBay. And also it came with the C128 by default. Yeah. Because it was a special cable. Well, it's not a special cable. It's just a DB9. Yeah. But back then it was special. Yeah. Yeah. The, the hard part is finding something to plug it into now. Right. Okay. Yes, <laughs> another news is... Another news is... Yes. That I got some calendars, some spare calendars too, actually. Oh, yes, yes, from you did. the Women of Gaming 2015, yep. where there is um, all those famous video game girls like Vanessa Ortega that we spoke to recently. People can't see, so, but he's got, it on the, he's got all three on the wall behind him. Yeah, yeah. So you can get two signed ones. This will be like a price-giving thing. If you just send us your feedback hmm. to the podcast, to the magazine, Why don't I get a signed whatever. one? <laughs> well, sure. Um, I didn't offer it to you because you said, what would I want to do with the outdated oh, yeah, no, I mean, I got car? Nothing, I got no, no use for it. I'm just, just... <laughs> you got the phone to review. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the Commodore phone. Yeah. <laughs> And you were actually the first person in America getting the hands up. That I know of anyway. And and that was kind of fun too because I went to uh I went to the store, I got the thing, and the first thing I did was go to the store to get an S D card for it because if I'm gonna be taking pictures and, and videos and, and doing stuff with it, I wanted to be able to keep it on something that I could get at. And uh I went into the store and I said to I went to the electronics section and grabbed an SD card. And, of course, the employee has to ask, you know, can I help you with anything? And I said, no, I'm just getting an SD card for for this phone. And he, and he came over and he's like, well, what kind of phone is it? And so I pulled it out and showed it to him. And he was like, I've never seen that before. I'm like, yeah, well, it's, you know, you, you wouldn't have. It's not, it's a European phone, but it's really, you know, kind of a Chinese phone. And it, But he started talking about it. And then someone else was walking past and they happened to notice the big old Commodore logo on it. And it was like, wait a minute, is that, does that say Commodore? And I said, yeah. And, and before long, there was like five or six people standing around in a semicircle looking at this thing that I'm holding and asking questions about it. And so that was kind of different. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's the one, so, I guess that's the, the one of the, one of the benefits of having it is that, you know, you, other people that have the phone, if they're you know, if you happen to bump into them, it's going to be like, hey, pet phone. Like you said in your review video, it's a cha- yeah, yeah. it's a cheap guys. Yeah, yeah, I acknowledge you. Yeah, I acknowledge you. <laughs> right. So, guys, once again, if you want to have a calendar, there are tools available. Just send us your feedback to podcast at seamworld.org, and then it's I'm signed. Well- Who's it signed by? Anybody who's in the oh, every, calendar. Everyone oh, in the, everyone in the calendar signed it? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So who would that be? Let's see. Okay, so Miss January hmm. is Vanessa Ortega. Yes, who we spoke to. Yes. Um, Miss February That's this month, is last year. Kelly Miss Violence. Miss what? Miss Violence. Violence? Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, all right. And March is Lindsay Kingcray. 
Okay. April is Cat Gun. May is Raycool Moore. June is Kimmy Pritt. July is Celeste Anderson. And August is Jessica Hurt. And September is Candy Keen. And October is Christy Pride. November is Luna Laney. December is Prit Prombacher. Oh yeah, Prit Prombacher. I know her. She is among my Facebook friends. Ah. Hi, Prit. Right. So. So. Two so yeah. So if you Can't send. Get. Yeah. So if you send feedback, we'll select at random. Exactly. Uh, two people to send signed 19, signed 2015 calendars to. Yes. And of course, if you are elected, I will send you a reply and ask for your postal address because you would like to have well, this yeah. thing physically as, as addressed yes. and sent to you Yes. in a nice envelope. Mm-hmm. Right. Good. There is you get your personal piece of <laughs> scene world part- participation. Yeah, yeah. We didn't actually do a, um, a prize giving since the last twelve years. So yeah, we did one. We never years know ago where we had yeah. a signed disc sleeve. I think. Yeah. So you never know when the next prize giving is. So yes. take your chance, take part. Huh. Yeah, and get your piece of gaming history. Yeah. So so we yeah. got we got the guys from the the Mega sixty five waiting. So let's pop over to there. So today we are interviewing the Mega 65 guys, and that would be Detlef Hastig, who is the main organizer of the group, if I'm not mistaken. Kind of uh, the project manager. Project I, manager. I fear, yeah. <laughs> okay. And then we got Andre Kutra, who is doing public relation, kind of, right? True. And... Paul Gardner Steven, who is doing the code, kind of, the main coder. So great, great to talk to you. Um, So let's first start, I guess, with what is the Mega 64 actually about? Well, actually, let's let's preface that before we get into that. Let's let's go back and explain a little bit about what the C65 is, because there may be two or three people listening that that don't actually know what the what the 65 was yeah sure so the uh, uh the c65 was this successor project that to the uh, commodore 64 that commodore were working on between about 1989 and 1991 and this was when commodore were making the amiga 600 and 1200 and someone in commodore decided that it would be Nice to try and get, uh, I guess, one last bang out of the 8-bit era. Uh, and so they started working on this project. Um, and, yeah, I guess uh, it, it was canned, uh, it seems, a few weeks before it would have been ready for uh, commercial release. Some prototype units have been sent out to game houses already to work on. Uh, and, yeah, more or less finished prototypes existed. Uh, it was quite an interesting kind of mix of uh, 8-bit and Amiga-type technology, so it has bit planes like an Amiga. In fact, it has 8-bit planes uh, like an Amiga 600 or 1200, uh, 4,096 colors, uh, stereo SIDs. The CPU is about four times faster than uh, on the Commodore 64. 
And what else did it have? A nice keyboard with real cursor keys for four directions. Built in, uh, built in uh, floppy. Internal three and a half inch floppy drive. So yeah, really it was uh, uh, quite an upgrade in a lot of ways. Uh, but at the same time, the uh, in particular things like the, the bit plane implementation were uh, quite restrictive. So you couldn't change the start address of the bit plane, so they weren't very good for big scrolling, and you only had 128 kilobytes of RAM. So uh, I, I think that these were sort of some factors that uh, contributed uh, to eventually Commodore deciding not to release it, that uh, it really wasn't going to uh, be able to rejuvenate the market in the way that they had hoped. And maybe they were afraid of it uh, competing with the Amiga as well. Now, was that was that the actual case that it was it was scrapped uh, because because of that, or because I, what I had always heard, what I always thought of it was that they were working on it and then they went bankrupt and then it just kind of got sold off, you know, auctioned off during their liquidation. Uh, no, no, no. So Commodore didn't go bankrupt until '94. So remember, this was being developed at the same time that the um, uh, Amiga 600 and 1200 were developed, and they made it to market. Hmm. Uh, and so it could have been uh, pushed out to market uh, at the same time. And partly, I think, I mean, 1991, an 8-bit computer wasn't going to fare that well in the market. Uh, but also, I mean, there were a few uh, sort of, you know, unfortunate design decisions, uh, I think, that uh, contributed to that. So in particular, the, the bit planes just weren't flexible enough uh, to be really interesting and useful. So when you have a CPU, which is... Uh, only uh, three and a half megahertz and having to do more work with the bit planes than what uh, an Amiga 500 would have had to have done. Because uh, in the Amiga 500 or any Amiga, you could change the start address of the bit plane so that you can do this kind of nice full screen uh, scrolling and you can have separate play fields uh, moving around. Whereas on the Commodore 65, the start address for the bit planes uh, was more or less fixed on eight kilobyte boundaries. So you could display pretty pictures and yeah, you could display pretty pictures. <laughs> yeah, maybe we could point out what is so interesting uh, uh, about the C65 um, because uh, it's not just the number that uh, uh, tells us that it's the uh, uh, follow-up to the C64, but also the hardware is uh, designed in a way that it's downwards uh, what's compatible and. Um, um, basically, the uh, 4510 CPU includes the whole uh, 6510 CPU from the C64, but all the illegal or empty opcodes are filled with um, quite interesting, uh, nice ones for an 8-bit CPU. And uh, the, the same is for the video chip, which is meant to be downwards uh, compatible, and it also has two SIDs. And that was a a thing with with the uh, with Commodore is that they had done a lot of a lot of different eight bit machines and the ones that were compatible pretty much everything had to be C sixty four compatible because when they made the the plus four it tanked because it couldn't do anything that the sixty four could do when they made the the sixteen that tanked every everything they did that was eight bit tanked because it couldn't handle. 64 stuff except for the 128 which had the built-in 64 mode and was pretty much 100 percent compatible with it and, and that's a really interesting point because yeah the the 128 was this it was commercially well like from an end user perspective was the success story because it was uh backward compatible 
but in a funny kind of way, actually really contributed to Commodore's demise because, uh, unfortunately, it had a profit margin of about three cents compared to the um, uh, the C64, where you know the the production cost was, I think, down to thirty US dollars uh, toward the end of things. Uh, so, in terms of uh, you know developing uh, profit uh, for Commodore, the 128 uh, really was quite a uh, a poisoned apple for them. But so in the 65, they'd kind of learnt from these various lessons. So the 65 was designed to be cheap to manufacture uh, and backward compatible. Uh, and on a cost side, uh, I think probably they succeeded. I mean, it was um, uh, you know, the, the Rev 2A boards, which are the main ones that uh, uh, most of the prototypes were made, uh, were already uh, looking reasonably cheap to manufacture. Uh, and I think the Rev 5 boards had even consolidated uh, that further. Uh, and of course, 128k of RAM was uh, quite cheap by 1991. So uh, I, I think they would have succeeded there. Unfortunately, the backward compatibility had a bit of a wrinkle in it. So the uh, the VIC-3 video chip actually was not too bad uh, in terms of backward compatibility. All the official modes of the, the C64 uh, were well supported, and I'm not aware of any bugs uh, in that. Of course, strange demo effects uh, maybe would work or maybe wouldn't work because the timing of the chip was quite different. So from memory, there are no bad lines uh, on the uh, the VIC-3 chip uh, because it has enough bandwidth to uh, to do all the modes uh, without impinging on the CPU. So this is kind of a nice uh, step forward. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's one tiny little CPU from the perspective of a C64 that... Uh, stops uh, quite a lot of things working. Uh, and together with removing the illegal opcodes, which as uh, Detlef has discovered as we've been trying to find games that will run uh, on the 65, uh, a lot of the, the D-packers use some illegal opcodes to make the D-packer faster. But uh, that can be worked around and people could repack the games and most of the games themselves uh, don't need the illegal opcodes. Well, uh, except Test Drive and stuff who relied on Test Drive yeah. 2 was a famous option because Test Drive 1 actually worked on a super CPU, but Test Drive 2 yep. didn't because it used illegal opcodes. Yeah, and and so there are naturally exceptions, but in general, uh, you know, the, most games once loaded didn't need to use illegal opcodes. Um, however, the raster interrupt clearing uh, thing that most coders used was you know you would do increment do 19 or decrement do 19 or ASL do 19 you do one of these read modify write instructions on d019 uh, and uh, a lot of people didn't realize but this worked because those instructions read the original value from that location write the original locate value back and then do the uh, the operation and write that value back but it's this unintended writing back of the original value that actually clears the raster interrupt uh, and on the, the 65, they had optimized this away in the CPU uh, because it was based on the 65 CEO2, not on a 6502. Uh, and so this uh, one thing alone stopped many, many, many uh, games and other software from working. Uh, and it was a little bit hard to patch because you only had three bytes to, you know, in the code of, you know, of the, the increment instruction or something like that. Uh, and it had to happen within you know, five cycles, so you couldn't even change it to a JSR to some little routine that you know uh, does a, an instruction which is safe. And yeah, th this really was a, a big problem uh, for getting uh, just about anything to work. In fact, uh, uh, of existing games on the 65. 
So this didn't actually emulate it in in the same way that, say, like the 128 did, where it was really kind of... Ah, the, hmm? Okay, so, the, so the, the issue is that the, so the 128 CPU, in fact, is a 6502 yeah. with the extra I.O. ports and funny stuff. The C65 has a 4502, uh, which is, in fact, a slightly souped-up uh, um, 65CO2. Um, so the illegal lock codes were all allocated to things, and they had re-engineered it uh, to be faster. So uh, no ops and other one-byte instructions take one cycle on the 65CO2, which is uh, really nice, right? Um, and they optimized this extra cycle out of the read, modify, write instructions, so they're faster too. Unfortunately, it turned out that uh, it's quite vital for, as I say, for, for many Commodore 64 games. So one of the first things that uh, I did when designing the CPU for the Mega 65 uh, was uh, to make sure that when you are doing these read, modify, write instructions, in fact, specifically on D019, it goes, ah, you want to do something with uh, clearing raster interrupts. And so it puts the dummy write back in, uh, but only for that location so that uh, we get this nice combination of improved speed uh, but also maintaining compatibility. Now the the Mega sixty five. This isn't. It, it's it's not. You're, you're not making a, a C sixty five in in that you're you know producing a, a replica or whatever. This is this is a a machine that is essentially like a like a a programmable board that you can that you can use you know ROM images and whatnot to to. It's similar to sort of the C1, I guess, that Jerry Ellsworth did a while back, correct? Kind of. I think, and, and maybe Detlef will want to, to jump in on this as well. From our perspective, we are making a replica-enhanced Commodore 65. Uh, the fact that we don't have billions of dollars to run a chip fab to get our own chips fabbed means that we do have to use FPGAs, as the C1 did, uh, to achieve that. But what we're producing is something that when you look at it from the outside, you're going to think, hey, where did someone get $40,000 to buy themselves a Commodore 65 from? Um, you know, it will look almost completely identical to uh, an original Commodore 65. And indeed, the, the prototypes we have now, uh, if you stand a meter away, uh, you, you know, you'd have a hard time picking it out. In fact, when uh, Deadlift uploaded one of the uh, new pictures of the second prototype recently, uh, someone said, Oh, you have that's not really one of your prototypes. You've just taken a picture of a real Commodore 65 to make it look like you've done a whole pile of progress. Um, so when people start not being able to tell that you've uh, uh, made it yourself, uh, this is success. And so we're quite happy with our progress in that direction, I think. Yes, I think we are trying to uh, make, on the one hand, the collectors happy, which uh, basically they want a C65 in, uh, in their collection, but they probably also want to use it. So we we um, are trying to finish the work that uh, Commodore stopped. And um, we got the approval of many of the old Commodore staff and uh, of the original developers, and they helped us quite a lot already. So, um, well, at the moment, we really did... Um, like an exact replica, um, and from this point um, we are enhancing it. On the uh, um, hardware uh, uh, FPGA side, it's already enhanced, and for the the case and um, all the parts you can touch, it will be um, very carefully be enhanced from this point. Um, 
we try to avoid changing it in the fir- on the first uh, hand because uh, then it would be something that would just like um, be made or thought up by us. We wanted to continue what they started because we think it's a really clever idea. And uh, uh, if you do uh, code on it, if you code a sampler, uh, you will like it a lot because, um, um, I mean, if you like the C64, because you have something like a C64 on steroids, and uh, <laughs> this also, uh, already applies uh, for the C65, and the Mega 65, of course, can even do more. So what I did when I did some code on it, I ported my old C64 stuff and uh, then enhanced it, to use the big three, so use C65 stuff, and afterwards uh, I made use of the new uh, Mega 65 function. So um, it's really a lot of fun to code, I think, for, for homebrew developers, for demo seniors, for anyone who is interested in the history of computing in uh, and in 8-bit in general. So what you're trying to do is to create a new community like it happened with the DTV where there were suddenly patched games for the DTV and more demos using like the 60s, uh, the 64 color mode of the DTV and stuff so that, that there are more softwares available for users, kind of. Yeah, that's one of the ideas to really create a new old school platform, which is, of course... A really high goal because we don't know if people will accept it as an old school platform. But regarding the 8 bit, uh, it is really old school, and um, we try to um, do everything uh, in a way that uh, Commodore ha- would have done it also, not to do to be too fancy, to do uh, trickery or modern stuff that uh, is not usable from the 8 bit code, etc. We are really discussing every new feature and um, we are doing very, very careful modifications to the original design if necessary. Uh, so, um, yeah, the, the goal is to make all the all the communities happy, not only uh, people that are interested in, in the, the platform it, it will become uh, or it already is, but also the collectors, also, also the C64 scene, Demo scene, uh, etc. See, that's that's kind of a thing that that is is interesting to me because a valuable um, current replacement for a lot of hardware doesn't really exist. Machines are getting older and older, and things are stopping. You know, things don't work anymore. And you get things like the sixty four Reloaded, which is a new board for it, but you still need to rely on thirty thirty five year old chips to fit in there to run it. And so it's it's while it's a good thing to be able to have it as as a as a modern a brand new sort of thing that you can you could get and and use instead of you know your aging machine or your broken thing there really isn't a anything that addresses that. Yeah, right. No, no, and, and I think you're spot on there. And uh, so we are trying to do that so that you know I guess you know, our end goal is that. Uh, you know, the, uh, the wives and partners of geeks uh, might decide that, hey, like, you know, uh, I'm going to uh, give my uh, loved geek, uh, you know, an 8-bit computer for Christmas like they like to play with and that it will come, you know, complete in the nice cardboard sleeve with the bright graphics and, uh, you know, it, it will be Christmas like it's 1985 all over again. So if we can create that moment for people 
then we will be really happy and something that they will continue to you know to go and use uh, for many years. And as you say, the uh, you know the all new construction so that it um, uh, can last. Because really, as you say, the only other alternative is to combine something like the reloaded sixty four uh, with newly fabricated chips. Uh, the challenge is uh, try to find a chip foundry that can produce one micron CMOS uh, or NMOS. Um, as it turns out, there is one, and I have spoken to them a little bit, uh, and maybe a, another project another day will be to uh, you know, get, for example, uh, real SID chips remanufactured, because if we're successful with Omega-65, uh, we may well need to get uh, new uh, SID chips so that everyone can have uh, real hard SIDs uh, in the device. But th- th- that will be uh, yeah. something for us to look to. Uh, somewhat later uh, down the track. But, well, it's uh, yeah, an interesting th- th- topic because the chips are even faked nowadays by Chinese manufacturers because they figured out they can make money by it, like selling it for yeah. 50 euros or something, which is which is something that you that you need to have for certain um, for certain revisions, actually of the chip nowadays because they are the rare so I, yeah. I see the point in remanufacturing the thing and especially because I hear from all over the place that making new SID chips and 100% compatible clones is really very hard yeah it is so this is actually the one piece in the Mega 65 in terms of the um, the VHDL code which I haven't written uh, was the SID chips because I just got like oh this is too hard um and so I found the guy who had written the um, the C chip implementation, I think, which is in I can't remember. It was, it was in one other uh, open source C sixty four project. Uh, and so I got in contact with him, and we have his kind permission to include his work. Um, wow. And this is this is quite technical DSP code. You have the you know, the digital synthesis side. This is the easy bit, and then trying to in digital logic implement the analog filters. Uh, this gets a little bit interesting. Um, and uh, he's done quite a good job, but uh, and it, it, for many things it sounds really good, but to get this totally perfect is uh, is really very hard. Yeah, I'd like to go back uh, to what AJ said. Um, I think you, you really hit uh, the nail on the head because um, uh, Mega as a, a community, we are trying to preserve uh, artifacts of our digital history. And uh, uh, it's really not about uh, just about um, emulating stuff because anyone can emulate anything on his uh, super fast PC. Uh, we believe that it's really important to get the haptics right to really be able to touch the machine. Yeah, if you use a C64, it's uh, really about um, yeah feeling the keyboard and you have these original joysticks and it's completely different um, to to use it on uh, a tube TV uh, than to uh, emulate it in in a window on your PC and use the cursor keys. So um, this, what, we believe that what we are doing is a, a step towards preservation of our digital history and to make things that are um, yeah, either dead because the chips are too old or they are not available anymore or they never ca- came out like the C65. Uh, we want to, to uh, have people be able to feel them, try them, touch them. And um, yeah, that's, mm. uh, I think, why Mega got involved in this whole thing. 
Yeah, and also yeah, talking about communities from, from our perspective, we see that a lot of people are getting more interested in the what we call retro computing world, right? So we see that, that people that are uh, our age or even younger try to get interested in these kind of technologies in the early days technology. And for those, uh, obviously, the, the hardware is... Uh, in the in the old sense affordable but if we give them a platform that's even capable of doing newer stuff then they will be interested even more and i think that's also a great advantage of the mega 65 of course you can you can just play all your c64 games uh, on your big tv if you really like to <laughs> which is a, just yeah. a, a exactly. small part of what it can do but i mean it's not the worst right now now does this have cuz Because the the original sixty five and the sixty four and and everything else had um had the normal sixty four serial ports on the back for plugging in disk drives and this and that. Does this have the same the same ports? Can I take like a fifteen eighty one and plug it into the back of this thing and and go with it? That is exactly what we are planning to do. Uh, in fact, unlike the sixty five, <laughs> it's quite funny. We've, yeah, as we've been discussing the various ports and connectors and things that we need, um, and Uh, so certainly having a, a serial disk drive port is is for us is non-negotiable. You will be able to plug your 1541 or 1581 in the back uh, and use that to transfer data. And again, from a, a, a preservation perspective, this is actually really important for us that people can easily uh, get and protect their data. Um, but also, unlike the 65, we'll probably also have a tape port uh, so that you can still plug your old data set in uh, and uh, get games off of tape uh and various other things um and i mean it, it also makes it uh you know we're thinking about creative things with that where you may well be able to uh make mixtapes uh, directly from the mega 65 recording physically onto an audio cassette hmm. uh so there's a whole kind of interesting things that we're looking at there by uh having uh, the original ports uh, with their original function but again also this idea that uh, when you want to use them in a a little bit enhanced way uh that this is also possible so um you know I, i was looking at some videos that that it had that had been put up about things hap you know being done with it and mm -hmm. not knowing too much about the hardware side of it i i noticed that a lot of the things there were some demos that you know showed a, a ton of different colors on the you know with raster bars and stuff but they all seem to be loading up in 64 mode so yeah, is that I, 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 so is that like an expanded 64 mode or or how does that work ah, okay. exactly Okay, so, so this is a really uh, useful question to bring up. So on the 65, unlike on the 128, from 64 mode, you can get access to all of the hardware. Uh, there is a special knock, so you have to write two particular values to uh, D02F, and then the VIC-2 switches to VIC-3 mode, and you can see all the extra I.O. registers and all the, um, uh, the register mapping for everything else uh, comes into view. And the memory mapping is done by uh, a special opcode on the CPU. So there's this map instruction, uh, 5C in hex, uh, that lets you pick what from the whatever you want to map in from the one megabyte address space uh, to be visible in the 64 kilobyte uh, memory space. Uh, so that combination of things means that you can, from 64 mode, uh, do whatever you want to. Uh, and just uh, partly out of uh, sheer familiarity and comfort, uh, we tend to code our stuff so the darts in 64 mode uh, and then uh, you know turns on which features it needs uh, and does what it wants to do so of course on the mega 65 we've extended that uh, further so that you have 
it, you know, it powers up in, in C64 mode. You can turn on C65 mode if you want to uh, and the VIC-3. And then separately, you can turn on Mega 65 mode uh, and the VIC-4 uh, so that you have uh, you know, the, the full scope uh, of capabilities available to you. Um, and then to complement that, we also have the means where you can change whether the CPU runs uh, at the uh, the realistic speeds, so uh, one megahertz in 64 mode. In uh, in uh, well, again, so the 65 has a registered control between one and 3.5 megahertz mode, uh, and then we have separate control so that you can turn on the full 48 megahertz mode, um, where things <laughs> really fly. So the mega 65 in full speed mode will basically do in one second what a Commodore 64 takes one minute uh, to compute normally. Uh, in fact, the, the Mega 65 is uh, in full speed mode is so fast that I think you would have considerable difficulty emulating it at full speed on a modern computer uh, precisely. Maybe it's uh, but, interesting but, to tell that the games that you saw in the videos they are all running in full speed 48 megahertz mode and um, yeah it's just a selection of games that are well let's call them so well coded that they don't have any problems with the cpu being 48 times faster yeah it's actually true i noticed that when you had the super cpu you had to fix games to run on a on a certain speed, otherwise it would run too fast, like Mercenary, for example. Yeah, that's uh, right. It's, yeah, it, it's actually it's not that many games which uh, which run too fast. Anything which has a raster interrupt to drive yeah. the display and game logic uh, will run at the correct speed because the you know you still only have some number of frames per second. But it's interesting, for example, Test Drive, to use that example again, it played faster on a super CPU, but not too fast. So... You're right. The yeah. same is for Thrust, for example. The mm. physics simulation is a lot better, and the game plays the same, but with better, better physics. Yeah, because often they would have, uh, maybe they're using real-time uh, or uh, raster interrupt to do the uh, the redisplay with double buffering. Uh, and so in that case, uh, you know, whereas it might take two frames or three frames to recalculate uh, that you know suddenly this can happen in a, you know a tenth of a frame, and so every frame uh, it can work. And so it's actually been really interesting. You know, I think there's a uh, you know uh, maybe a, a doctorate for someone who is interested in uh, you know this sort of uh, digital archaeology uh, and heritage uh, to look at the different ways that these things were made. Uh, because as you say, yeah, it, it turns out that in many cases uh, it, it's all kind of fine. Uh, but this separately actually reminds me of a, a point that we didn't cover off earlier. That uh, the Mega 65 is uh, still actually completely 8-bit, uh, so all the internal data paths are still 8-bit. Uh, sure, the chip RAM has a 192 megahertz uh, interface for the VIC-4, uh, but it's still an 8-bit interface. Uh, so we've tried to uh, really keep the the purity of this uh, as an 8-bit platform. Whereas I think even like the uh, the DTV and the uh, Chameleon. Uh, from memory, both use uh, wider uh, data buses uh, to the memory to try and get some performance. And the uh, chameleon you are referring to, the cartridge from yes, Jens Schoenfeld. Right. Yeah, yeah, which is, I mean, it, this is some fantastic work that they've done there. It, it's uh, it's really nice. It's the nearest competitor in some ways to the Mega 65 in terms of performance. Uh, but we're still something like easily uh, double the speed 
Uh, and uh, again, the uh, from memory, the Chameleon One and uh, the DTV, when you run them at full speed, uh, you no longer have cycle predictability for the performance because it's using uh, uh, you know like SD RAM or DDR RAM, and you have all of this. It, it, the memory accesses stop it feeling to me anyway completely like an 8-bit machine. Whereas on the Mega 65, uh, the RAM is all zero weight state 8-bit uh, RAM. And so you can sit down and look at a routine and go, this will complete in 43 cycles, um, uh, like you should be able to on any real 8-bit machine. So, again, I think for uh, you know for the demo scene community and all of this kind of thing, there's just some of these little things that uh, nonetheless make a, a big difference to uh, how 8-bit uh, the machine feels. Now, speaking of, of speed and, and especially like the, the demo scene and whatnot, does this – does this run as PAL or NTSC? Because that's when you get down to, to demos and, and cycle specific yeah. stuff, oh, yeah. that's a and, big and also games. Yeah, yeah, that's a big deal with that. It it is. And so yeah, it runs in its own special uh hybrid of the two. So that the reality is getting uh, a fifty hertz signal uh, at full HD accepted by uh many monitors uh is non trivial to do. Uh so we we're more or less forced to run at sixty hertz. Um, however, what we do is uh, we do 60 hertz, but with enough cycles per raster line and all of the PAL raster lines so that uh, software designed for PAL uh, shouldn't break uh, because you know it's not going to run out of uh, uh, cycles per raster. It's not going to set a raster, interrupt a raster line that doesn't exist on an NTSC machine. Uh, so if you like, it's 60 hertz PAL. So... If if I had a if I had a game that would run on a PAL C sixty five, it would not run faster on the Mega sixty five because that's mostly the problem with the music, for example, running too fast. Mm. Uh, so depending on the game, it may well be the uh, the music in the game runs at you know sixty over fifty, so it's the twenty percent uh, faster. Um, we've been thinking about some ways uh, to uh, to address that. But really, the only way to do that is to get uh, real 50 hertz output, because otherwise you get kind of strange uh, video artifacts. Uh, so th this is something that we're still trying to think of a, a really nice solution. I mean, if we can get a video controller to reliably drive 50 hertz uh, to HD TVs um, with a 50, uh, you know, like a 50p kind of mode, uh, then hey, this this would be okay. Um, but yeah, we're not sure that that's uh, necessarily going to be possible because um, we'd like to steer away from uh, a 50i mode uh, because with interlace then you know you get these horrible uh, drag effects and things yeah. and it, it just looks ugly whereas uh, the Mega 65 it just it, it looks beautifully liquid at uh, real uh, you know 60p uh, 60 hertz progressive uh, scan so yeah this is uh, a little problem which is not so easy to solve but I think, and uh, Detlef uh, and Andre can uh, can jump in if they like, it turns out actually that uh, because things don't tend to break, the 60 hertz just kind of, uh, you know, you actually you don't tend to notice it after a while and it, it just feels normal uh, to use. And maybe it's sharpening your reflexes for some old games that were expecting 50 hertz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the game yeah, plays that's, that's exactly true. Yeah, uh, Indeed, I was playing Commando and I found it to be, a little harder than uh, it was, but uh, well, I kind of enjoyed it. Enjoyed it because you, uh, it, it just feels uh, like the old times, just a, a little more turbo. So in the end, 
I was uh, playing it through and through like seven times in a row. And, you know, so at some point the grenades, uh, they hit the 99 limit and then they are zero again. So, yeah, we do fine. I mean, it's not an issue we are um, addressing in a top priority at the moment. Now, see, I grew up being being American. I grew up with with all of my music running 20% faster than, than it should. So that's fine with me because that's that's how it's supposed to sound to me. Whenever I hear it at the proper <laughs> 50 hertz, I'm like, that's that's not right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I remember on the uh, Nintendo 64 playing, uh, I think, Ocarina of Time, the PAL version, where you uh, had to ride that horse, Epona, like, I don't know, 20 more hours just to get <laughs> anywhere. Uh, and the PAL version was so not playable. I mean, I really prefer the 60 hertz uh, versions of the game. They are more arcade, arcade style. Hmm. But, well, of course, as uh, Paul said, um, this will be addressed, but it's not the highest priority at the moment. So, actually, another thing talking about speed and responsiveness, uh, because we're making a direct physical interface to a real physical keyboard, um, we get rid of some of the really annoying things about emulation or even... Like you can buy this, uh, there's a couple of different uh, brands of USB adapter you can put in an old C64 case to plug it into your PC or Mac uh, so that you can have real joysticks and use the real physical keyboard. And you go, oh, this is so lovely, uh, except they appear as a USB keyboard. And so you have like it's 15 or 20 millisecond delay on every key, uh, and that's the minimum. Uh, and when you start trying to do diagonals on a joystick, uh, then you it doesn't come through simultaneous diagonal anymore. It is two events, one after the other. And uh, Commando, for example, is practically unplayable using uh, one of these uh, little USB C64 keyboard things. Certainly it makes uh, it uh, really horrible to play. Yeah, uh, that, is even, also yeah, the reason, like that is also the reason why the USB version of the Competition Pro that was released for PCs wasn't very successful because people said that pit stop and so on is really very hard because it's it's so much delayed. Yeah, correct. And so it's and it just it, it ruins the feeling, right? Like you're like, oh, this is game that you know is really nice. I mean, um, it's funny when my brother first got his first full time job, uh, the first thing he did was go to the local arcade game shop and he bought a full stand up arcade game of Gyrus. Um, and so this was in our house for some number of years. And so I uh, got to the point where I could reasonably reliably uh, finished the entire game on the arcade and uh, on a real C64 uh, I can do a pretty decent job uh, with one of these USB C64 keyboard interface things uh, that you can buy uh, you know I'm lucky if I can get to Neptune um, and you know you can't get full <laughs> points on the chart stages like it, it, it just it feels like someone has just chopped your legs off it, it's really really horrible um, okay. so uh, we've purposely done a much, uh, a very different approach to that, where you know there is no USB between the physical keyboard and uh, the computer because then it wouldn't be an 8-bit computer either, right? Uh, so it is just direct lines into the chip, and so at 48 megahertz, of course, <laughs> the latency on uh, pressing a key or a movement uh, can be as little as like a hundred nanoseconds. Uh, so you know this is. You know, well, you know, uh, it's much, much uh, sharper and faster than even on a, a real 64 um, or a 128. Because, uh, of course, in both of those, the I.O. is still at one megahertz. 
on the C65, the I.O. Uh, can actually be at 3.5 megahertz, so it's uh, it's kind of nice there. Uh, but, you know, we're 12 times faster again uh, than that. So, yeah, th there is no problem at all. Uh, and it, when you play, uh, even with the little prototype board that we have for that now, it's just like, oh, it, it suddenly feels like you're back at a real 8-bit computer uh, and all of these horrible delays go away and, uh, and, and, and life is beautiful again. Uh, You've got so your legs back. Yeah, 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 correct, and not just stitched on badly. It's like you have a professional Igor who has uh, has reattached uh, possibly better legs than you had before. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so this is all uh, really nice. And again, it's you know from the uh, the preservation and heritage perspective, getting these little details right so that when you sit down at it, all you're thinking is, "I'm at a real eight bit computer." Uh, you know, when you succeed with this, then it, it's right. And so it, it's funny. So even the uh, so the internal floppy drive that we emulate uh, with uh, an SD card uh, in the Mega 65, uh, we still preserve all of the normal loading routines from the uh, the stock machine. So you have uh, at 48 megahertz, of course, it loads very fast, but you still have this kind of nice little pause where you know it's doing something on the disk. And because uh, if it's totally instant, it doesn't feel right either. And so it's, uh, yeah, all, all these usability uh, kind of things. I guess at the end of the day, we want the Mega 65 should feel like the iPhone does in the smartphone world, uh, not like some cheap Android phone uh, that does mostly the same things but doesn't have this beautiful, polished uh, kind of feeling. So you are doing the Mercedes of the retro computers, kind of. Yeah. Yes, what Mercedes was in the 80s. Let's put <laughs> yeah. it like that. <laughs> um, That's so, right. So, when so, they made nice beige cars. Yeah, so, so let, me, let me ask Andre actually... What did you have in mind to make sure that this won't be a failure? I mean, as you know, there are a lot of other products like the Vapid and oh. all the other stuff that totally failed. And now that um, that there was that DTV that was success. But unfortunately, all those computers, all those Commodore computers in the past that were a success they are not sold anymore i mean but but also DTV but also and commodore 1 to interrupt you also yeah. though those those computers that were coming out that were failures the 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 webit and and uh, yeah. what whatever the other ones were they were all they slapped a commodore name on it and it had nothing to do with 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 what the what commodore was and this i see more as like the opposite like they're not necessarily yeah. slapping the name on it but they're making yeah. something that is yeah. accurate to what yeah Exactly, you're you're perfectly right with that. So we want to get the real Commodore feeling back, and I think this will be the true difference to other projects that are out there. That we are that we are bringing in a, in a machine, also with all the details as Paul just outlined, that brings you back this real uh, 8-bit feeling of the 80s, and you will be uh, seeing a machine and really touching a machine, and you will also see the package, obviously, which we have in mind that totally resembles the old times of Commodore in their biggest days. And also we, um, we have run this by the, the, the scene, the Amiga 30 party and noise, for example, and have got some valuable feedback that we are all uh, totally on the right track with that. And uh, I think we, we, we have a great chance here to make this accessible to also a wider community than, than just the ones that we are talking to each day, obviously, right? So we will we will have the chance to bring the true Commodore spirit back with a machine that's totally capable of doing capable of doing the, the things back from the past, but also doing newer stuff. 
And maybe this is also giving us the potential to to preserve this digital heritage even better. Yeah, and, and will uh, and will this will the machine be supported in like five or ten years? Because yeah, that was yeah. actually the 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 root of the question. Because that's the problem with the thing that came out recently. After ten years, they are no longer produced. No more software. Your mm -hmm. machine is is there somewhere yeah. in the cellar, but but there's no new stuff coming out. So what about right. long term support? Yeah, so here is, uh, it gets interesting, right? So this is, uh, my day job is producing open source software for disaster communications because I realized for that, that if it's proprietary, you have all of these problems and people can't adapt it and my, uh, maintain it. Uh, if you do it open source, uh, you're letting the community care for itself. Uh, so in fact, actually it's cheaper and easier for, you, uh, for the producer uh, if it's done well uh, and you know you're not, Uh, creating any artificial scarcity of control for the community. And so the Mega 65, you know, our hope is it will produce and sell physical complete units. Uh, but our intention is also that uh, everything you need to make your own Mega 65 will be available online. So you can go and you know, buy an FPGA or an FPGA board, however you want to do it. Uh, and you can put uh, our open source uh, code into that uh, and make all the hardware interfaces. And yeah, and, and you'll have, Uh, your own uh, mega 60 fight. Uh, you know, uh, when we're all in nursing homes, uh, you know, trying to play commando or uh, whatever we end up doing uh, at that time, uh, that the next generation we can like, yeah, okay, let's you know uh, get this working on the next version of FPGA board, or let's you know crowdsource uh, another production run. Uh, yeah, we really want to uh, have this problem uh, solved in a, a, a nice. Uh, open way, and I, I think it gives more uh, ownership uh, to the community. Uh, and going back to what you were saying about you know the, all these other things that had the Commodore uh, name on them, I mean, obviously it would be really nice if uh, the, the guys that own the Commodore trademark kind of came to us and said, "Hey, like you know, you know, we'd love to rent you the Commodore name so that this really can be you know the actual Commodore 65 that is released." Uh, that that would be lovely. But uh, we're working on the assumption that that's not going to happen. Uh, but instead, for us, it's more important that the uh, designers of the Commodore 65, the engineers uh, and the other people who are involved say, yes, this is the true uh, completion and uh, outworking of the Commodore 65 project uh, for 2016. Uh, and, you know, that uh, for us, that's uh, much more important that, you know, the community, everyone can see, hey, yep. Uh, you don't need to stick uh, the Commodore logo on something for it to be uh, something from the 8-bit era. Uh, in fact, <laughs> I think that, as you guys were kind of hinting at, the opposite has kind of been the case that people go, ah, if we put the Commodore brand on it, uh, we can sell some stuff. Uh, and, and this is really sad because I think it's not adding value to the Commodore brand uh, for what value it still has. Um, it's kind of slowly sucking the life out of the brand, uh, whereas what we're doing Uh, really would help to rejuvenate uh, the Commodore brand. Because, I mean, you can imagine the uh, the media that you would get if it came out that said, you know, Commodore are releasing a new 8-bit computer. Um, it right. is really an 8-bit computer. It plays all the old games. You know, the, the media will just be by this. Uh, because you go like, sorry, it's 2016, and here is this computer which, okay, so it was delayed for 25 years uh, in, uh, you know, in limbo while Commodore went bankrupt. But now, 25 years late, we're finishing it off and it's coming out to market. 
Um, you know, I think this is a, a, a really interesting story uh, for, uh, you know, uh, for general news as well as for uh, you know, the more uh, specific news outlets. Mm. Speaking about that, when I was talking to Andre and Detlef on the noise thirtieth um, Amiga anniversary, they told me that you didn't really reverse engineer from the source code, but you used a different method to re to to get all the functions right of the Commodore sixty four. Most mostly the way how it should be rather than original reverse engineering. I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly the details, hmm. how it was explained to me. But uh. Yeah, so I guess that, that background of the project, I, I owned a Commodore 65 for uh, 15 or 16 years. Um, and so I, I used to use it as that was my main 8-bit computer that I used to use for much of that time because it, it was just really nice, right? Uh, you know, with the internal floppy drive and no piles of spaghetti cords and the clear display uh, and a little bit of extra speed. So I, I very early patched uh, turbo assembler to use uh, the 3.5 megahertz mode. Uh, and this just made uh, assembling much nicer and faster. Uh, and so I've been thinking for a long time that I wanted to make uh, a new Commodore 65 and also just to make a, an accelerated Commodore 64 because I had kind of... Uh, I realized that there was this kind of nice way to make a really nice Commodore 64 accelerator that didn't have the cache coherence problems of the um, uh, the super CPU, where the CPU can go fast or the display can be correct, right? This is kind of the, the two choices you have. Uh, so I realized on a real Commodore 64 that you can do this kind of funny trick uh, where you tell a RAM that it's being written to instead of read, uh, read from when the VIC-2 is uh, reading uh, RAM. And then you can just write the correct value in as the VIC-2 is reading it out. So it's kind of just-in-time uh, write-back cache. Um, and so I knew that this would work. I did some tests uh, back in the uh, the late 90s on that and thought, oh, I'd still like to make an accelerator around that. Uh, but then eventually kind of these two projects merged. It's like, no, I'll make one accelerator, which is uh, an improved uh, Commodore 65. And because I was quite familiar with how the machine worked, um, I basically just sat down and started implementing the VIC-3 uh, as I knew it worked. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I didn't look at the, um, the specs for the CPU other than the instruction opcodes. Um, and also for the VIC-3, I just looked at the register maps, uh, that I had and started implementing it, uh, how I thought, uh, it would be a good way to implement it. And maybe this is not perfect. Um, but yeah, uh, so in that regard, it's, uh, it's very much a clean, uh, re-implementation. There is no intellectual property issues, uh, with that. And we just made it so that you can run an original Commodore 65 ROM and it just works. But you don't need to modify the C65 ROM at all uh, for everything to work. Wow. So so you, you are working together with Dave Haney and Bill Hurd and RJ Michael. As I said, you, you got an approval from all those engineers back then at Commodore that the way you are doing it is correct. Uh, I don't know that we have that. I think what we have is... Um, these guys uh, always seem to be really enthusiastic about uh, what we're doing. Um, I don't want to put words in their mouth that they have not uh, uh, provided us. Um, but, yeah, so I guess our hope is uh, – and the guys can jump in and correct me because uh, they were there. I wasn't, unfortunately. Uh, well, well I'm, just, I'm just asking because my first experience when I entered the, the um, 30th 
um, Amiga anniversary at Noise was Dave Haney approaching me like, hey, Jörg, you know, maybe we should make a new Amiga. Maybe we should do a Kickstarter campaign and de develop new Amigas. I would really like that. So I was like, okay, Dave Haney really wanted to have a new Amiga there. And that was the first thing he told me. So, mm, so, so I... I, I got the feeling that they really want to be involved in something new again. Otherwise, he wouldn't yep. have done that and told me. Yes, they were quite yeah. excited about the Mega 65 project, obviously. We had quite intensive discussions with them, with RJ Michael and, and also Haney. And it was really um, great to see how their their eyes widened and, and they looked at this basically prototype machine of, of the Mega 65 and they got really excited about it. And uh, as you've maybe seen, we also got their signatures from some of the Commodore guys on the machine, on the prototype machine, yeah, which may be, may be something that uh, um, we will leverage later on when we go into the marketing phase of the whole project, right? Yeah, plus we received uh, emails from uh, the C65 developers and um, yeah. yeah, also... I won't go into details, but uh, some source codes and stuff that was is really helpful, especially when we are going into more detail or uh, like enhancing the basic or whatever we would like to do in this direction. Yeah. And so I guess from my perspective, to summarize all of this, everyone that has connection to Commodore that we have been in touch with seems to be really, really enthusiastic. And I think when we get to the right time, uh, we obviously, we would love to talk with these guys again and say, hey, like, you know, uh, you know see if they're willing to uh, offer some kind of, uh, you know, uh, on the record endorsement uh, that we can use uh, in the marketing. And, uh, and again, you know, can envisage that maybe we have interviews with these guys uh, for uh, media coverage at the time. You know, I think there's a whole pile of things that we can uh, look at there that I think it would be really fun uh, for those guys, as I say, to be involved in uh, something new from that era. Uh, that they have fond memories of uh, and to to help us create something uh, for all the community, which is just yeah really nice and uh, really amazing and uh, really authentic. Hmm. So when when is this planned to be available? <laughs> as soon as we have it finished. <laughs> yeah, that's the word. <laughs> well, so can I get Amiga 65 for Christmas? Yeah, um, but we don't know which Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, that's fair um, enough. Or, or to put it another way, if if you want it for this Christmas, we don't know how much it will cost you yet. Mm. Yeah, um. that's a, that's another thing. That that's, that's another thing. That's something I heard a lot at the at the Amiga um, anniversary party in Noise, which was mentioned a couple of times here. That a lot of people were telling me like, ah, oh, this Mega 65 is very nice, but I'm not a developer. I don't know how to put this thing together myself or apply the software to it or the FPGA um, contents. Mm -hmm. So I bet a, a completely running machine, completely done, will be very expensive. I can probably not afford that. 
So that is something that a lot of people fear because that is what kind of happened with the new Amigas that were also presented at the show that people told me, it's nice to have new Amigas, but it's too expensive. I can't afford it. So that's, I guess, also another big problem. Yeah, well, let me answer this uh, this way. The more people are interested and uh, want to buy it, the cheaper it will get. Um, I'm totally with you that the new Amigas, um, despite how interesting they are, are really expensive. I, I mean, even as a collector, you really have a hard time getting one. And um, this is not where we want to go. But on the other hand, of course, we cannot offer a sophisticated thing like this for like 100 euros today. It's just impossible. Yeah, um, We would have to go in, in uh, so large numbers um, that even I don't think there's enough retro freaks on the planet. But uh, something fair in the middle yeah we we don't really want want to earn money with it we just want to spread it we want to have people being involved we want to have a scene people who want to code for it code demos code games that's the highest goal we are a non-profit organization we are basically doing it for fun so we are not interested in actually earning money with it yeah so i think from this point it's a fair calculation we may will make it of course in our own interest in everybody else's interest as cheap as possible but i mean it's 2016 yeah you cannot build a machine like this with a keyboard that uh, uh, is not built by anyone anymore, uh, like a floppy drive and stuff like that, which is really hard to get ancient hardware. And also an FPGA, which you have to keep in mind, would uh, enable you to run like every computer and every console from the last 20 years on it. Um, I mean, this whoever wants to do it, they can do it. Um, it won't be super cheap, but it has to be affordable for a wide uh, circle of people. Yeah, yeah. obviously we are, we are quite cautious about the costs. Obviously, um, the, the price, the final price is not set. Uh, but uh, we, are, we are, as I said, really cautious on the pricing of the machine to make it as, as uh, wide as, uh, widely available as possible and to make, make the community even bigger and, uh, well, get this old Commodore spirit, as I said earlier, back. Well, you, you look at even even online at used, um, not even going into the used Commodore 65 because, you know, you're going to have to mortgage your house and sell your firstborn to even get one of those. But, I mean, just even, <laughs> even you know, 20-year-old Amiga equipment is going for three dollars $400. And, you know, if if I was in – I've been digging up my, my old Commodore stuff recently, and if I needed to get a newer machine – I think I'd rather spend a couple bucks extra to get something that's brand new and that's going to last, you know, another 20 years down the road than spending almost the same amount to get something that's 20 years old and may blow up next week. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. it's a healthy and, think, approach. That's, it, it, it is. True. We, we certainly endorse that, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but also, I mean, the, you know, the, in terms of, you know, like if you compare getting uh, you know, an old 64 or 128 compared to the Mega 65 when it's available. You know, if you have a, a stock 64, you still have this problem of how do you get the software on and off? Where are you going to buy blank discs? Um, or do you use one of these little IEC uh, adapter things? You know, there is this whole uh, extra complication 
Whereas the Mega 65, apart from that it will have three and a half inch discs that maybe some people still can uh, directly copy data with, uh, you know, it will have 100 megabit Ethernet uh, and it will have uh, the micro SD card uh, and it will be much easier. You know, we want to remove the annoying barriers uh, to making it uh, fun to use and on the first day uh, compared with, uh, you know, with the other options. So, uh, yeah, um, and, and it, again, sort of on the, the price thing, one of the things you know, we started the project using an FPGA, which was uh, and still is quite expensive because it was the latest generation, but it was the first FPGA that could uh, actually implement this kind of machine directly. So the RAM that we're using for it is RAM inside the FPGA. So this is how we can have 192 megahertz, you know, like it's it's five nanosecond uh, RAM uh, for this thing so that it really can be an 8-bit computer. Um, but we know that history tells us that FPGAs get cheaper over time. The previous generation is now like $10 uh, US, uh, whereas this current generation is currently about $100 US uh, for the chip. Uh, but we know at some point, uh, well, actually, already the next generation of FPGAs are out. And so that, you know, uh, in time, that will start putting a downward pressure on the price of the current one. And so, you know, to some degree, it might be, and although I don't think this will come to pass, but if we kind of sat down and said, okay, we can produce it, but now if we do it today, the price is too high. But if we wait six months or 12 months uh, before doing a large production run, that the price will come down 10, 20, 30, 40%, um, that this is also quite possible. So, uh, you know, we want to get it out as soon as possible, but at the same time, uh, you know, because we're, we're nonprofit, uh, we don't have to, uh, you know, recover costs in any specific time frame. It's, it's all volunteer effort, right? Right. That's good. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, again, one of the nice things about this being a social enterprise rather than a commercial enterprise. From what I gathered at the meeting, there will be different versions of the machine, uh, complete in different way with case, without casing and so on. Is that not, correct? Not, not really. I mean, we, uh, uh, aside from the open source uh, thing that everybody can do whatever they want with it, of course, we are supporting mainly two, uh, how do you say, it, uh, different approaches. Um, one thing is the final machine, as uh, pointed out before, uh, with a nice package and bringing back uh, your 1982 Christmas. And uh, the other thing is you can have the uh, development uh, development board and put it inside like uh, a C64 housing or um, maybe the new ones, the transparent ones, whatever. You can uh, just run it uh, on your table without any case. Um, so you can do anything, but it will be, of course, a lot cheaper. So um, we are trying to keep both uh, of those aspects uh, alive. Um because, we, of course, we also need the people that don't have the money to buy the full machine. and uh, But we want them to be able to participate and uh, to use it, of course. So, um, yeah, I think these are the main aspects. Uh, maybe um, you are uh, uh, talking about what I said in the um, talk that um, there probably will be uh, people that maintain their own versions like 
one version could, for example, be somebody removes all the mega stuff because they want just a C65 replica, doing the exact same thing and nothing else. Yeah, We won't do that. But of course, I mean, it's open source. Whoever wants to do that, they can do it. Yeah, And uh, we even give them the uh, designs of the case so they can, whatever, print their own cases or build them from wood or whatever they want. <laughs> we are... Um, well, we, we all have a scene background. Yeah, we're talking guys from Fairlight. We're talking guys from Triad here, etc. So, I mean, um, yeah, everybody is invited anyways to join at any time, especially guys that um, are still busy doing retro stuff today. Um, but, uh, I mean, we are not really new to this. And we have done other big projects before, which were yeah, sometimes they hurt a bit to, to finish. But I think this is uh, what we stand for. So uh, it, maybe it takes a little longer than we hope, maybe not, but uh, we will get that done. I'm pretty positive. Right. Okay, so where can people find out about this? Oh, it's obviously the main domain is mega65.org. If you Google for mega65 or use whatever uh, search engine you like, it will be quite on top. And uh, there's a forum as well. A little, a very little one, but I mean, it's in place. It's uh, mega65.net. So the org is the main page, uh, like advertising or telling what we are doing. And uh, mega65.net is the community page. And at some point, there will be a mega65.com where you can uh, buy the machine, wow. which is not up and running yet. It's redirecting to the org at the moment. Uh, so, yeah. And you have a Twitter account and Facebook and so on? Yeah, you find all those on Mega65.org. And indeed, we are um, posting uh, here and there on Facebook some news. And uh, there's also a link to the Mega, which is Museum of Electronic Games and Art page, where you can see uh, quite uh, high-res images of the uh, second prototype. And uh, yeah, you can see what we are doing, that we're non-profit, we are uh, um, doing free education for children, uh, coding for uh, elementary school and stuff like that. Great. Uh, and of course, if any of the listeners happen to be in Adelaide in Australia, then they can come by the university where I'm based and they can uh, have a look at the, uh, uh, the gear that we work on for development there. Wow. So you're pretty open. For feedback, yeah, yeah. We are <laughs> yeah. yeah. And people may even touch your devices. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it, actually, it, it's. I mean, talking about this thing of being open. I mean, it's uh, for me being involved in open source uh, software development for a number of years now. It's. Uh, I, I wouldn't do it any other way. Like, it's just it's really nice because you can work with community. It's yeah, it's very much more social uh, rather than this kind of you know sort of uh, you know, proprietary can end up. Uh, you end up very isolated. Um, so, yeah, for us, this is uh, a really nice way to work. And so we're quite happy to engage with people. And, of course, it means that people can contribute as well. We don't have to rely only on our own efforts. Yeah, at this point, maybe, uh, again, an invitation to everybody who's interested in 8-bit coding, whether they might... Uh, be able to code C64 or be interested in C++ um, and, of course, uh, uh, FPGA design. Whoever's interested, they just can uh, contact us over mega65.org. 
and uh, we'll find their, them a place in the project. Yeah, that's right. There's, there's lots of interesting things they can do. I mean, you know, there's uh, not many other places you can have the chance to help write an 8-bit hypervisor, right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and and the other thing is that we have so many ideas. Yeah, we we always need to to uh, prioritize them. And um, there's some nice stuff that is not being done at the moment um, because we are not enough people. So everybody will get really interesting topics. I think. Cool. Great. Great. Well, we'll put links to to all that stuff in the podcast description so people can check you out and all that and. Yeah. That would be cool. Great. Thanks. Thanks a lot for the time, guys. Yeah. And we will sh certainly stay in touch. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Okay, so, take care. See you. See you. Bye-bye. 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 you. Bye. Those are the guys from the Mega 65 Project. So what was your takeaway from the Mega 65, guys? My opinion. Yeah. I think it's the hottest since ever. Really? If it's really to be as good as they promise, it's going to be. Yeah, you know, I like the idea of it because, again, you get to replace some of your aging stuff with, with potentially a new fully compatible machine. Yeah, and, um, well, as I said, the problem here is the price factor, which they, that they take care of because the... The biggest problem nowadays is that new Amigas and stuff, they are expensive. Old Amigas are expensive. So, no, I mean new ones. New I know, models, I know, I know, I mean, but even but even the old ones yeah. are stupid expensive as well. So Yes, so if they can give the Commodore 65 a new living, a new reason to exist, more power to them. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board, and, I, and I'd pay a couple extra bucks to have it, just, you know. If it could replace my stuff without needing to, if if I could have a brand new system to work and and not have to, because because all you can get now is is a used sixty four or one twenty eight or whatever. There's no such thing as a, a brand new one that's never been used before. Because of the ships mainly. Right. Yeah. Again, you can find them over at the website, which is mega sixty five dot org. Dot net and dot com. Well, .com isn't there yet. It will be. You can also find them on Facebook and Twitter. Just search around, and, and the Twitter and Facebook is on the Mega65.org page, as well as the LinkedIn and the Google Plus and all that fun jazz. Um, us, you know where to find us. SceneWorld.org is, is where issues are and video interviews and stuff uh you can find our our youtube channel there uh through there our the twitch stuff is through that so just go there find us um my website is just west of hell i'm on twitter at arthur j heller and and some other things york is over at at nafcom.eu and he is nafcom on twitter and yes, and we are actually, because there was some confusion in the past, we are on Twitter, scene underscore world. And our YouTube, just to make it complete, is youtube.seamworld.org. And if you want to see us live, make sure you subscribe and enable notification on Twitch at twitch.tv slash sceneworld, and then you get an email or a notification on your iPhone or Android device when we get when we go on the next time. Yes. Righty. All right. Well, until then, I'm AJ. He's yeah. Curious then. Bye bye.